Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Monday, November 7th. Past 10 years in Hollywood have seen an unprecedented surge in film and television content. Some call it peak TV, others the streaming wars. Basically, you took the entirety of the cable television ecosystem, then on top of that added Netflix, which is spending about $17 billion a year on content, plus Disney+, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, HBO Max, and the rest. But that boom was driven by a spectacular run-up of the stock market. Netflix was at one point trading above $500 a share with investors believing that all that spending would deliver hundreds of millions of subscribers worldwide in a new digital content ecosystem. Over the past year, though, the stock market has absolutely turned on Hollywood, and specifically on streaming services. Growth is slower than expected, and many investors just got out. The result, almost every entertainment company is struggling, at least in the stock market, down double digits or more. Now, an advertising slowdown is hitting, causing even the biggest tech companies like Facebook and Google to fire people and lower their ambitions. How have the Hollywood streaming services reacted? Lately, it's been by raising prices and introducing lower-cost advertising tiers. Across the board, it's going to cost you more than ever to stream movies and shows, unless you're willing to watch ads, in which case, it'll be cheaper than ever. Netflix now has a $7 plan, which it launched last week. All of it's designed to reverse this Wall Street curse and return these companies to the paths of growth. Will it work? We're going to discuss that today with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. How the financial pressures are impacting what you and I see. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, our normal Monday morning guy from Bloomberg. Welcome, Lucas. Hey, Matt. All right, so I'm going to go through a couple of data points here, and uh, they are related. We will start with the percentage stock drops of the major Hollywood corporations over the past year. This is year to date, 2022, and this is as of Friday. Uh, I'm not going to do close of business today because we're taping earlier. Uh, We're going to start with Warner Brothers Discovery, which is down 55% this year. Disney, down 37%. Comcast down 40%. Paramount Global, 50% down. Lionsgate, 51% down. Netflix, 55% down. So now I'm going to switch to subscription prices. We've already seen in the past couple months, Disney is going from $8 to $11 on December 8th. Hulu is going from $12 to $15 a month. Uh, These are all for services when you don't get the ads. Apple Music 
just went from $10 to 11. They also increased Apple TV Plus. Spotify will probably follow, though they haven't in the US yet. Netflix now costs $15.50. That's up from what it used to be. You get the point here. Things are getting more expensive in the streaming landscape at the same time as these companies are extremely challenged financially. So it's got to be related, correct? Yeah. I mean, it, well, the, the initial increase in pricing, I think, was related to kind of inflation and companies feeling like they could get away with it. Uh, but it's certainly related in that Wall Street is signaling to these companies that they want to see profitability. They don't want these companies to just sort of spend into a black hole as they'd been promising to do for a while. And one very easy way to lift your revenue and, and try to hit profitability is to is to increase prices. I mean, that's a, that's how Netflix has gotten to the point where it is a profitable streaming service, not a hugely profitable service, but the average cost of Netflix has basically doubled over the last decade, uh, which is which is how they've funded the increase in production. Yeah, and the mantra has been spend, 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 and you'll get it back because the customer base has been increasing, increasing, increasing. We've seen slowdowns in that after the pandemic, um, some actual losses in terms of Netflix the first two quarters of the year. Uh, but now we're in this place where it's pretty clear that the country is if not in a recession, certainly in a belt-tightening, inflation-sensitive period right now. And I think there's a lot of fear in the streaming world that people are going to start canceling on these services. So why is this the time to raise prices? Well, I think the import it's important to keep in mind that the companies that have raised prices are those that have pricing power or who are seen as essential, right? So Amazon increases the price of Prime. People may be feeling, you know, cost sensitivity, but that doesn't mean that they're going to cancel their Amazon Prime. That's, you know, Dude, Amazon could charge me double. I should not be saying this. <laughs> Amazon could charge me double and I would pay it. Uh, at this point, it's just, I like the camaraderie of seeing the delivery guy twice a day. Yeah. So there's that one. Uh, you know, Netflix for a long time, I think, felt like it had pricing power. I, they've hit a little bit of a cap with it, and that's why they now have a cheaper ad tier. Yeah, and, we'll get to that. Yeah, Disney pro feels like it had, you know, Disney deliberately underpriced its service out of the gate, and it feels like the core customer, they can raise the prices. Their challenge is, is figuring out who else is going to pay for it. Uh, you know, the ones that the one that f felt a little unusual to me was was Apple. You know, Apple TV Plus does not feel like an essential service for a lot of people yet, but they do have the the ability to give it away for free with people who buy new devices. And the conversion of those people into paying customers has been pretty good. Whereas the other players, the Peacocks, Paramount Plus, companies that are sort of a, a, a level down don't have the ability, I think, to, to raise prices in the way that some of these others do. And Apple has not been as challenged on the stock market as some of the others, they are they are down, but not not like the others. Well, I saw I saw a stat the other day, and I'm going to butcher this, but they're now worth something like the combination of like Amazon, Facebook, right. and Google, or Ann or Alphabet, someone like that. Yeah, that's because those companies are advertising dependent, and what we're seeing essentially right now is an ad slowdown, an ad recession, where these companies that are dependent on the digital ad market, you know, Facebook and to a certain extent, Amazon, but not as much, 
um, and specifically the media companies. They're all struggling because advertisers are pulling back. And Apple, yes, Apple does have some ad business, but they are not primarily an ad company. Like we saw this past week, one of the only media companies doing well right now in their earnings this quarter was Live Nation, which is a primarily a music touring company. And they're not as dependent on advertising, although they do sell sponsorships. And touring is going through the roof right now still. So it's really these companies that are dependent on ads, which is interesting because they're all launching ad tiers. They're all launching cheaper ad-driven versions of their core service at a time when the ad market is super challenged. This past week, we saw Netflix debut their ad tier. Have you checked this out yet? Uh, I have only a little bit. I, I got to be a better reporter and actually, actually tool around with it. I have not either. Um, Rich Greenfield, the analyst, sort of went nuts on it and was like listing all of the advertisers and the clients that, you know, the, the people that were. It was interesting. He said there weren't a lot of telecom or or media ads. It was a lot of travel industry ads like Carnival Cruises and things like that. Um, and he said the ad product was pretty well incorporated into Netflix. Some of the creators like Shonda Rhimes and Mike Flanagan, um, they are not thrilled with their shows having ads in them, which, you know, Crimea River, that's why they pay you the money and Netflix owns their shows. That's that's sort of their prerogative to do that. But a lot of these outside producers for Netflix that make shows um, that Netflix doesn't own, they have not been able to come to agreements with those outside producers to put shows like The Good Place or House of Cards or things in the ad tier because it requires an alteration of their deal to pay them because that, that was not part of the original gig with Netflix. And I think that's been a, a pain for them. But overall, the Netflix ad tier seems to be pretty smoothly integrated. I just wonder how many people are switching over because if you look at the Netflix ad product, it is significantly cheaper. It's seven bucks with ads. And that's half the price of the usual product that people have. So I wonder if we are heading into a period here where, just like the rest of America, it's going to be a class system where a certain type of customer who is not price sensitive is going to have the ad-free version of all of these streaming services. And then a price sensitive person is going to just pull back and take the ads and watch these for a lower price. Is this the classism of streaming coming home? Sure. I mean, it, but but I guess I'd ask how different is it from the the previous era where you had the people who paid for HBO and Showtime and the people who didn't? That's true. But I think there was a period here where Netflix was sort of considered like the service everybody had. And you could talk to man on the street, woman on the street. Chances are in this country, they probably had it. Maybe they had it for free from their ex-girlfriend. Look, Netflix Netflix was Kleenex. I mean, even it, it started to change, I'd say, in the last few months. But for the longest time, whenever there was a new movie, a new show, whatever it was, and if people didn't catch it right when it came out, they would say, oh, I'll just watch it when it's on Netflix. Because Netflix had trained them to believe that everything that was in the the kind of the linear world was on cable, was, on, was in theaters, would eventually flow to them because for a while it did. And it was the default streaming service. One of the big challenges for the company, you know, the reason behind some of the uh, kind of their, the the slowdown in growth and also the changes in strategy this year is they have a lot more competition and that's not the case. And I think you're right that you'll see 
a bifurcation and that there'll be some people who who just continue to pay for the the higher end product and they've created these ad tiers because of what we were talking about earlier which is that if we're in a recession if people are more price sensitive because of inflation you need to give those folks a cheaper alternative and they're not going to if if they're saving 50% a month they're not going to care that much if 5% of the shows that matter are not on the ad tier well that's the other thing is that you ask how these price sensitivity or these financial issues and the pricing and everything is trickling down to average consumer, you and me and people listening. There are going to be things that are pulled off of these services. We've already seen it. About 60 shows have come off of HBO Max in the last month or two. And that's because they've been identified as little watched by the management there. And they think that they can get extra money from them elsewhere because Warner Brothers Discovery is a super financially challenged company with about $50 billion in debt. And they are literally going through the couch cushions of that company looking for dimes and nickels. And if they can make some money selling old HBO shows into linear syndication or overseas or in any different market, they're going to do that now, even if it means the product HBO Max is going to suffer a little. And at least from their perspective, they don't believe the average consumer is going to subscribe or not subscribe based on whether, you know, some animated shows or, you know, 20-year-old HBO original series are on the service. And I probably agree with them. Oh, I totally agree with them. I mean, to 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 continue with the Netflix, is anyone not going to get the ad tier of Netflix so it doesn't have House of Cards? Who the hell's watching House of Cards at this point? With HBO- Well, you, maybe if you're younger and you come up and you're like, oh, what is this? I mean, it does add to the overall package. Sure, but, but it's right. not the reason you're going to sign up or cancel or any of those things. Sure. Same with HBO Max, those those reality shows that nobody watched in the first place. They're not going to you know, drop the service. How dare you? How dare you malign F-Boy Island? That was the only one that people watched, but <laughs> but Craftopia or Baketopia or any of those. Right, right, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of questions about why Warner Brothers Discovery is scaling back on animation, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, the other the other thing on the recession front uh, that I'm sort of curious about is at what point you, if as a as a viewer, you sort of see or feel the uh, kind of more conservative approach to spending in Hollywood, and whether there actually is a drop in the number of shows released in next year or the year after, which, by the way, I think would be a great thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I think it's already happening. I mean, if you talk to agents and buyers and people in the development community, they're developing less stuff, and they're saying no. I mean, we saw it this past weekend with Westworld. HBO canceled that after four seasons. I mean, to me, that was like, of course they did. That was a very expensive show that had a viewership that was declining and declining. I mean, who who cares if the creators you know wanted a fifth season? Of course they did. They all get paid and they want their creative vision fulfilled. But it wasn't generating an audience. Of course it got canceled. Um, but that's happening everywhere. I think people are giving close looks at what they're doing and whether the return on that is going to uh, be worth it. And, you know, Hollywood is like a 16-wheeler. It's very tough to just slam on the brakes when the economy turns. Uh, you, you have to slow down. You have to fulfill commitments you've already made. And I think eventually, in a year or two, we are going to see the pipeline start to slow. 
which will be an odd time to for these services to keep raising prices. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You know, are you going to be raising prices at the exact wrong time? Um, maybe, but if you know, one hit can cure a lot of dissatisfaction in other areas. How much? How much would you pay for the combined HBO Max Discovery Plus service? How much would? How much would it need to be too much where you would essentially drop HBO? Uh, that's a good question because HBO and Warner Brothers Discovery has basically said they are going to increase the price of the combined service when Discovery Plus is integrated into HBO Max, either under the HBO Max name or some new magical name that is going to eliminate all confusion as to what the service is, but also tell people that, yes, it has all the great HBO stuff. Um, I don't know, 20 bucks, maybe? 17? That's your, that's your breaking point, 20 bucks? Oh, oh! I would never pay more than twenty bucks for something for one of the services, right? At least not now. Um, but they recognize they kind of have to raise the price. Uh, I don't watch anything on Discovery Plus, so I, actually that is not true. I watched the Army Hammer documentary, um, <laughs> but my wife, my wife subscribed, and then we watched it, and then we canceled after a week. So I am not a Discovery Plus person, but I realize there are lots of fans of Ninety Day Fiance. Lots of people love the uh, you know Chip and Joanna. So there will be an audience out there for that kind of stuff. And it is complementary to what HBO does because they don't do a lot of that stuff. You mentioned their reality foray, but that's over. So if you want the, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper and my feet are killing me, you're going to have to subscribe to this service and then you get all this other stuff. So I, I don't know. I think they could probably go to 17, 18. But, but keep in mind, they have an ad tier as well. I mean, that's the crazy thing is I think in this recessionary times, I think people were thinking, okay, what services do I actually need or will I actually watch? And people were considering, okay, maybe it's just going to be Netflix, Amazon, because I already get it, Hulu, or Disney Plus, because I have kids. And now... You don't do the the Disney bundle? uh, I don't because I don't care about anything on ESPN Plus. But it's basically free. Is it? We get Hulu and... No, but you have to have the bundle has Hulu with ads. I think they're yes, which is the problem I have because I hate the ad experience on Hulu. But I, I think, hate the ads but on I, Hulu. I, I think there's a in their new pricing plan, there is a version where you can get the bundle where it's Hulu without ads. I will say, given your twenty dollars threshold, I feel like the combo bundle was twenty bucks, but it's for two services, so maybe it doesn't violate your. your I Hulu. watch Hulu as much as anything these days. I think Hulu's had great a great stuff. year. Yeah, yeah. I've been watching. I've been watching reboot on Hulu. The the Steve Levitan show, which is pretty funny. They that they have this weird Jerry Falwell pool boy documentary. I've been watching. So Hulu, I think, is a good service. The the outlier here is Netflix. I I'm probably going to switch to the ad tier on Netflix because I just don't watch it that often. You have no thoughts on that? I I don't. <laughs> I just I don't watch it nearly as much as I used to, but I don't see myself switching to the ad tier. Because, I mean, maybe I will just to, to try it out, but I don't like watching ads in my TV. It's one of the reasons why Netflix was great in the first place. Yeah, that's the thing, is they are getting away from the core reason people subscribe. Look, I go back and forth on this whole Netflix programming debate. I think that their programming, what they offer and the diversity of it is way better at this point than most of the people that you and I know give them credit for. I think there's still a lot of good stuff there, but there's no question that there's not as much, and it's harder for me to find it. And um, Too much garbage. Yeah. The, the overall business point I was making here is that I think the 
decisions that people were feeling they needed to make amongst these streaming services are being made easier for them because of the ad tiers. If you are on the fence on Netflix, don't watch it as much. It's getting expensive. You're looking at your overall budget. You know what? I could get this $7 ad tier and watch some ads when I do watch Netflix, and I don't have to worry about the $15.50 that I was paying each month. Yeah. There will certainly be people who do that, and the 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 goal for Netflix or for any of these other companies is to make it so that the ad tier is as lucrative for them as the non-ad tier. So when Jason Kyler was leaving, or all the folks around Warner Media said that the ad tier, they made actually a little bit more money from it than they did from the ad-free tier. And I, Netflix has said that that's the goal. I'm sure Disney will say that's the goal because you can offset the lost revenue and subscription by selling a bunch of ads. The number I am looking at, and in a year, it'll be interesting to see if it goes up or down, is the average number of services that a person subscribes to. Because the nightmare scenario for a lot of these companies in a recession is that people just cancel. And they don't want that. So the ad tier may save them. So we may be looking at a situation in a year or two where the number of services people subscribe to is either the same or potentially even more because they can get two for the price of one if they take ads. I never know what to make of that research that it's like people will pay, now people will pay for 3.7 services. Like how the hell does someone know how many services they're going to pay for? I want to know how many. They don't answer 3.7. No, but they answer three or four. It's like, I don't know. Just t- I'd rather someone just say, "Tell me what you tell me what you pay for, or tell me what you would pay for," and list the services. I don't think uh, anybody's thinking about it in terms of numbers. Maybe not. Well, you should start a polling firm, and you can ask uh, straightforward <laughs> questions like that. Um, you know, the in terms of the cutback on your question earlier about whether these companies are cutting back, we know they are because they're telling us that they are. I mean, the the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, what was his quote? That the days of uh, spending at all costs on streaming services are over? I mean, that's pretty much an indication that they are cutting back, right? Sure. Uh, we see it elsewhere. I mean, they, they say they're not going to cut back on streaming expenditures per se, but the overall content spend of these media companies has to come down. They're all under pressure. They're saying they're going to reduce costs. You know, the first thing you can do is you can look at a $200 million J.J. Abrams show that is not based on any well-known IP like Demimon, this show that was canceled by Warner Brothers Discovery, and say, you know what? Click. That one's done. $200 million saved. Vaporized. Vaporized. Into a wormhole. Uh, all right. Two years from now, which of these services looks the most different from what it looks like today, which is the most impacted by the trends that we are seeing today? It's got to be either uh, either HBO Max or Dis- the Disney bundle, because not necessarily by the trends today, but look, HBO Max is in the midst of this corporate merger. Yeah, by necessity, it will have all this other content. It's going to be combined with Discovery Plus. The name yeah. is, is, po- is possibly, probably going to change. 
it will just it, it, the 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 leadership under David Zaslav has changed. You know, you'll still have all of the the great HBO programming, but there's going to be a bunch of other stuff involved. The look and feel is going to be different because they're going to be using different tech, like merging those two things. And then on the Disney front, there's the whole kind of this looming question of at what point does do they more kind of formally integrate Disney Plus and Hulu? Um, and the, as Disney continues to try to broaden the programming that they have on Disney Plus, like just what what exactly does that look like? But first place for that's definitely, you know, HBO Max, which might not be HBO Max then. And second place, I'd say, is, is Disney. Uh, I would agree with that. I think that Netflix probably won't change that much just because it's already kind of acting like a broadcast network that sells ads even before it had ads. The content was kind of that uh, broadcasty, lowest common denominator type stuff, punctuated by prestige when they want it or when it's legacy left over from when they cared about that. And I think something like Disney, which has been engineered as a subscription product, uh, the transition to ad, the ad tier is likely going to change the kind of shows that they make a little bit to things that eat up more time and eat up more advertising dollars. We already see it with Dancing with the Stars moving over to Disney+. Plus. Um, those are the kinds of things that you probably wouldn't have seen on Disney Plus two years ago or when it launched. And now I think we're going to see more of that, that stuff. So I, I think you're right. I think Disney is going to be a very different product. And again, we'll see what the pricing is like for all of these things. Because if the ad tiers don't work, that's going to be an oh shit moment for these companies. And they're going to have to wonder if they're losing money on these ad tiers if the viewership isn't high enough to generate the ads that they want. I guess the real wild card would be to bet that one of these there, there will be some other major transaction, and as a result, uh, one of these services will either cease to exist or be combined with with another company. Whether that's you know at the top with a a Netflix or a Peacock or a or yeah, we haven't even talked about Peacock for probably good reason, but yeah, I mean that's a different topic for a different show, but. I think that Peacock, Peacock is not long for this world. I think you would agree with that. I have some version of Peacock. The current version of Peacock is is probably not long for this world. They got Hallmark movies now, though. You can watch all your holiday movies. I know you're a big holiday movie fan. You can watch The Christmas Kiss, The Christmas, you know. I, I've never. I've you can never, watch all of the holiday <laughs> movies you want. I don't think I've ever watched a holiday movie. Oh, yes, you have. Come on. Are we are we including Home Alone as a holiday movie? No, those are Home Alone transcends that. Home Alone is like a legit movie that everybody has seen. I'm talking like, well, you got the Lindsay Lohan movie coming, Lucas. You can exactly. watch that. Exactly, Lindsay Lohan in a holiday movie. Who's not? I was watch wondering that? why she was on a magazine cover when I was in the airport last week. That explains it. Yeah, she's back. She's back. Yeah, come on, get with the get with the program. Um, all right, that's it, Lucas. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, how was your weekend? It was good, thank you. How was yours? Uh, it was nice. My fantasy football team is doing pretty well, I got to say. Now, how is yours doing? We haven't talked about it on the show, but as some may know, you are the host of a very popular Ringer fantasy football podcast. Um, and the question is, how is your own personal team doing? I'm 8-1, and one, I'm in first place. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. It's always nice when the expert can actually deliver on what he's an expert in. True, although... Fantasy football is mainly luck. It's, it's injury luck. At the end of the day, I would say two-thirds of it is injury luck, and as is the case with most sports gambling. Before we get to my prediction, I have a correction from last Thursday's show. I said that The Sopranos was licensed to TNT, um, which it, it was actually licensed to A&E. 
very similar sounding, but very different network. Uh, a couple of people pointed it out to me. I appreciate when people point out errors. Um, so yeah, that's a correction from Thursday's show. Let's move on to a topic that I know you and I both love chatting about. Uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, the Midnight's album, I think, is a lot bigger than even most people predicted it would be. I mean, Taylor, she's breaking. She had all 10 songs in the Billboard Hot 100 top 10 last week. Uh, first time that's ever happened. She's sold 600,000 CDs of her album. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't know. The CD one is baffling. I get the vinyl part of it, but maybe the maybe the CDs are going to be collector's items down the road. I don't know. Well, they have original songs on them. That's the thing. Is she's smart and knows that if she dices it up and doesn't put all of them on streaming, she can sell products. And she still, you know, these artists, they make a lot of money on CDs. So uh, if they can sell them, and she put some original songs just on the CDs to sell them at Target, and it's working. So that's not my prediction, though. My, my prediction has to do with her concert tour that she is about to launch. Tickets go on sale on the 15th. And my prediction is that this will set a new record for ticket prices on a big tour. Um, there have been huge ticket prices on some of these one-offs, like a Led Zeppelin reunion or when U2 you know, does only a few shows. But for a big mass market pop tour that's going to hit multiple cities over multiple nights, I think Taylor Swift will set a record for the, mo the highest prices of any artist. Um, you want to hear why? Yeah, why? Because of a, a couple factors. First of all, she hasn't toured in five years. She's got four albums now that she hasn't toured on. Um, this album, Midnight's, is much bigger than people expected it to be. That also stokes demand. And she did an interesting thing on her last tour that has been replicated by other artists where she started doing this dynamic pricing for the most in-demand seats where she's trying to take value away from the secondary market and keep it herself. So she keeps more of the price of these tickets rather than selling them at a lower price. The demand goes through the roof and then the secondary market capitalizes and goes nuts on it. So she is doing dynamic pricing for more than just the best seats this time. She's doing it for, I believe it'll end up being most of these arenas where the prices will go up based on demand. And given the level of demand, it's going to be a perfect storm, in my opinion, of pricing versus demand. And to complete that perfect storm, this tour is not just a Midnight's album tour. It is an Eras tour. She's essentially doing a greatest hits tour of all of her best songs from all of her albums, which is huge. Everyone's going to go see that. Uh, yeah, it's greatest hits. Listen, I celebrate her entire catalog. I'm sure you do too. As, yes, I, I do as well. I'm <laughs> going to plan to go with my fiance next year and I'm already working on taking out a loan so I can see her. We'll see. Uh, yes, I know. If if you want to sell a kidney or part of your liver to uh, to finance those tickets, I know a guy. Yeah, I'll start a GoFundMe. All right, great. That's the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.